Welcome to the Array of Faith podcast, where we shed light on the beauty of our spiritual and religious differences. I'm your host, J. Dana Trent, professor of world religions and critical thinking at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Array of Faith podcast began as a way of connecting with Wake Tech students and beyond during this difficult time of pandemic. As a teacher of almost 10 years, I enjoy bringing guest practitioners into my classroom to help shed light on textbook academic theory and give students an opportunity to connect with real life practitioners. Due to the pandemic, we've been unable to invite guest practitioners into the classroom. So we began Array of Faith as a way of connecting with their stories, experiences, and hopefully enriching students' lives in the process. Welcome back, everyone, to the Array of Faith podcast. I'm your host, J. Dana Trent, Professor of World Religions at Wake Tech. I am joined by our producer and guest practitioner, Gauravani Das, and we are delighted and honored to welcome our sixth guest practitioner today, Miss Barbara Jesse Black. She is the final guest practitioner in this season, and we are so excited because Barbara is a very dear friend of ours, and we are grateful for her time and energy this episode. Barbara Jessie Black was born 57 years ago in Berlin, West Germany. She lived overseas until the age of 16 when her father's last military tour brought the family to Fort Gordon, Georgia. Barbara is a graduate of Augusta University in Augusta, Georgia, where she earned her bachelor's in business administration before moving to North Carolina. She had a 15-year career as a retail manager with a national retail chain, and during that time period, Barbara received her MBA from Meredith College right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. During that time, she also became the co-founder for a non-for-profit organization whose mission it is to search for innovative ways to achieve socioeconomic equalities in communities through holistic and entrepreneurial-based education, and to include education in 21st century jobs, technology, and the STEM model. Among her many accomplishments, Barbara is currently the president and CEO of Community Works. We'll put a link to that organization, formerly the PTA Thrift Shop, a nearly 70-year-old nonprofit organization whose mission it is to enrich the lives of others by building collaborative partnerships and transforming charitable donations into educational and community investments. Barbara is extremely active in triangle communities, the ones that she lives in and works in. She serves on many boards and volunteers her time to causes close to her heart, which include workforce and economic development, access to healthcare, issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as other issues in the social justice space. Barbara considers herself a lifelong student of all things holistic and spiritual with an emphasis on how those concepts influence one's activism. Barbara is fluent in German, a yoga enthusiast, and includes in her spiritual practice daily meditation and annual silent retreats. 
We are so delighted to welcome Barbara. Students, for our textbook purposes, Barbara is a practitioner from chapter 14, which is our new religious movements chapter. And that is because Barbara's faith and spiritual practice fuses many elements of both ancient and modern traditions, which is very um, usual among what we call the NRMs. There are 14,000 NRMs. And Barbara is going to share more about her practice and what it looks like in her everyday life. Barbara, welcome to Array of Faith. Well, thank you. Um, I'm super excited to be here and uh, very honored as well. And I will just say this is an interesting time to be doing, to be having this conversation, um, especially because we're doing it virtually and not in person. And so I appreciate the fact that you have created this podcast for your students um, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Barbara. That means the world to us. And, and Wake Tech students, just so you know, Barbara is a frequent visitor to Wake Tech campus. She has come every semester. I've taught and I've been teaching a long time and students love her. It's often a great way to cap off the semester and to learn a lot about ancient and modern traditions. So we are so grateful to, um, to be in this space and to hold this space, even though it's virtual and we miss seeing each other. I'm just so grateful that the students get to hear from you. Well, thank you. Um, it, the pleasure and honor is all mine. Thank you. Well, I am eager for our students to hear how you got to where you are in your spiritual journey. So tell us about that journey. Sure. Um, let me just preface by saying that we had this very brief conversation before we went live, and that is that this was a very interesting exercise to really sit with myself and to think about my journey. Um, we don't often, I mean, you know, we, we often sit with ourselves, but we don't necessarily sit with ourselves and, and figure out how did I get to this place spiritually? And so I appreciate the fact that this was an exercise that, um, that you afforded me and it was an intentional exercise, right? So, um, so that said, uh, I took some notes because, you know, I wanted to honor the fact that this is a college classroom. And so um, I did take some notes about my journey. And so, as you mentioned, um, you know, I was born in Germany. My mother was Lutheran and my father, uh, Black Southern Baptist. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, my both my parents were very free thinking relative to how they raised me around religion. Um, I was never, my parents weren't super religious, um, you know, having, being overseas, it was sort of interesting that we didn't have a quote unquote, true church home. Um, we visited the military chapel and, you know, that was an interdenominational kind of experience. And so all faiths were, were able to, you know, to connect at, in this one particular quote unquote, sacred space. That said, you know, my parents were not particularly religious, but they encouraged me to be really open um, to a variety of religions as well as a variety of spiritual thought. And so some of my earlier memories, and I sort of sat with myself and thought, okay, so, you know, how did, did your, did, did mom, dad actually say to you, you know, um, explore your spirituality? We, you know, we, we don't want you to be 
uh, Christian or, you know, whatever. And that was never the case. It was just sort of understood based on the fact that we were on a military base. Um, and again, you know, lots of very multicultural. And, and so it was just a natural progression to be part of that interdenominational kind of experience because we were all in it together, if you will. And so that said, you know, some of my earliest memories of attending church were that I was really, it was less about the religion and more about the sense of community and the sense of belonging. That, you know, there was this connection to uh, my childhood friends and their families, and we all got to meet in this one particular space, independent of what our belief systems were, because we were all part of this larger military family. And so for me, the, the connection was around sense of community and just this shared space of, of worship. Mm. It, it's interesting because I, I was thinking about sort of, you know, what, what other memories do I have about that time? So I was Rachel in um, the Christmas performance of the birth of Christ one year when I was, I think either, I was either nine or 10 or something like that. Um, and remember just feeling, you know, feeling really warm about that experience. I was in the church choir, in the youth choir. Um, I, you know, it was it, it, those sorts of memories I hadn't thought about in, in many, many years. Um, I had my own, I had two Bibles that were my own. I had, um, you might remember the way the living Bible and good news for modern man. So I, that, I had that with my name in it and, and all of that. And then I also had um, the New Testament in today's English, which was also very interesting. Um, but I'll also say that part of my other sort of spiritual and religious affiliations and attachments were, you know, I loved reading about um, Eastern philosophy when I was a child. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite story, one of my favorite books, which was a, a German book called um, Bengalische Märchen, which um, is loosely translated into Bangladeshi uh, fairy tales, was this, this beautiful book about um, uh, stories and fables from India and Bangladesh. And I remember having, as a matter of fact, that book is on my bookshelf. And I remember just loving the stories in that book and loving sort of the, um, the Eastern philosophies that were part of that. That said, I also had some really interesting treasures. So um, recently I went through, uh, a, through a childhood box and I found a cross that my father brought back from Vietnam. And then I also found a, a, a small Hindu, brass Hindu Buddha that I also received, you know, as a gift when I was small, and those all occupied space. It occupied the same space um, for many, many years, and I now have them as part of, you know, sort of my altar, if you will. So I say all that because all of those experiences have informed um, and continue to inform how I move through the world spiritually. And so, you know, that said, we leave Germany, I get to, um, to Georgia in the late 70s, and it was a very different experience. Um, you know, we get to the South and every, there was a church on every corner, which was so antithetical to my military experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, folks would immediately upon, upon meeting you would ask you what church do you, who's your church family? What church do you go to? And of course, you know, in, in my, 
sort of naivete, I would say, well, I don't go to church. And then the follow-up question from folks would be, so you don't believe in God or, you know, or some variation thereof. And so all of those experiences were, were of course, you know, very antithetical to my, to my military sort of church experience and really led me to think about religion very differently. And I would say that organized religion for me is less important and especially the, the Christian denominations because of their sort of hierarchical and um, very punitive, you know, oftentimes very punitive and um, judgmental ways of, of, of practice, right? Now that's not to say that the religion itself, the denominations themselves are, you know, are punitive and hierarchical, et cetera. But in practice, my experience had been up to that point, you know, as I got to be a, an older teenager and then a younger adult, that my belief system was very different and didn't really match that the Christian denominations. What my belief system and my spirituality did match were the Eastern philosophies. This notion of oneness with a higher being and the sense of love and compassion and compassion and interconnectivity between everything as well as the sense of social responsibility that really resonated with me. Mm. So, beautiful. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, was going to say that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Just a, just a quick sort of reflection before we get into some specifics to tease out, but that I, I love the idea of you were very keenly aware that there was a construct, at least in the Southeast United States, where there was a majority culture, but you in your spiritual maturity understood that that wasn't quote unquote home for you. That didn't feel like home. Right. Right. Yes. Um, exactly. Um, and I, you know, it's, I, I consider myself to be a very contemporary person, but I also realize that I have a very old soul mm-hmm. and I've always resonated with this interconnectivity of, of, of everything, right? That we're all part of, you know, this sort of greater cosmic whole and that we are not separate from each other. And so for me, this notion of, you know, there being a church on every corner and people didn't worship together and, you know, under the same sort of Christian denomination, but people were very sort of siloed in their beliefs was, was very antithetical to me. And I just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. And so, you know, my spiritual practice then became kind of my own. I didn't really have a, you know, being, being a teenager and a young adult in the South you know, finding Eastern philosophy and finding a place to, to really um, live in those spaces didn't exist for me at the time. You know, it was the early 80s and, you know, you were either Baptist or you were Catholic or you were some, you know, some other Christian denomination. There were very few experiences for me that really resonated relative to the Eastern philosophies that, um, that, I, that really spoke to me and spoke to my heart. Um, so yeah, so I'll also say that the feeling of ultimate knowing that we're all part of this, as I mentioned, cosmic whole, 
it not only informs or informed and continues to inform my personal journey, but it's also what led me to my vocation um, as a nonprofit uh, practitioner. Mm. I, that's you had mentioned that earlier of the 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 both the interconnectedness, the belonging, the community, but also a, a social justice obligation that that has been fused in the spiritual practice, which became your own, which I think is really important for students to hear that you have this beautifully rich spiritual journey and a foundation gift given, gifted to you from your parents and which includes holy relics of sacred texts and a cross and, and this experience of being on the military base and in community, but that ultimately you found a practice that was that became uniquely yours that includes this social justice component, which leads us straight kind of into what we call our core questions in REL 110. And there's three categories of ultimate reality. Where do we come from? Way of life. How should we live given where we come from? And ultimate purpose. Where are we going? And those are huge, broad categories that can mean any number of things. And you've spoken to the oneness of things, which I love hearing that. And so if you don't mind just walking us through, you know, your core beliefs in those categories and what it looks like for you. Sure. Um, so I would say my belief of ultimate reality is that we come from a higher power. Um, and that could be God, universe, source, the divine. It really doesn't matter what you call it, but there is this, this higher power that, um, from which we come. That said, you know, I also believe that that every living thing is energetically connected, right? That we are, and this goes back to, you know, sort of my, the, the, my spiritual belief around Eastern philosophies. I believe that we are all energetically connected and that, and it plays itself out in ways that, um, so I'll use the example of, you know, you can either vibrate higher, or you can vibrate lower and, what you see that shows up in your life is a direct reflection of that. And, you know, for me, it, it's more about being very present and, and really understanding that, that we are energetic, that everything is energetically connected. And so if I put out energy that is positive and loving and kind, chances are that that will come back to me in some form or fashion. And then conversely, if I put out negativity constantly, that's what I attract into my life because we are all connected. And so, you know, you can put that to the test when you, um, you know, when you're, when you're interacting with coworkers or um, friends or strangers on the street, although not so much now because of COVID-19, but, you know, just looking at relationships in your own life, if you put out, you know, when you're having a knee-jerk reaction, chances are you're getting that knee-jerk reaction back. And so just understanding that we are all connected. And so what is our responsibility knowing that, right? And that leads me into the way of life. Um, for me, the fact that my belief is that we're all ener energetically connected, I behave in such a way most of the time. I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're human and, you know, being human has its limitations and its frailties, but understanding that 
you know, guide being guided personally and professionally in such a way because I know that we are and because I believe that we are all connected is really honoring that and lifting people up who are not always heard and not always seen. And so, you know, part of how I live that out is through my through my work in nonprofit and through my work in, in racial and just and social justice issues is understanding that I am connected to everyone. And so what is my responsibility to that? My responsibility is to live in a way and to serve and to create opportunities for people who are not necessarily who don't necessarily feel themselves heard or seen. And so, you know, if I have, you have, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I, it's that sort of sharing that reciprocity of, of energy and reciprocity of resources. Mm -hmm. and that's how I live my life. I mean, I, you know, and I'll say that it's, I've gotten to this place over the years by having a deep spiritual practice and, you know, understanding that a lot of this is is due to introspection and continues to be a journey and there is no end to that journey. Um, I'm always finding new ways that I'm either not showing up the way I should and still believing that we're inner, you know, that we're all connected energetically. And so then being more, being introspective, how do I change that so that I live out that belief that we are all connected. And so my responsibility is to continue to lift people up. That's beautifully said. Uh, and I love that. And it, and it makes sense. Like it, the way you live your life out every day makes perfect sense given your core value system that you've developed throughout this journey. It's like all the pieces come together so beautifully. And you're, you're one of my favorite people in the world, of course. But what, what I love most about you is your the way in which you have made spirituality uniquely your own. And you have leaned into the many different ancient and modern paths that have created what works for you in the 21st century for the highest and best good for everyone. Right. And I just, I love it. And so I guess that that leads to our, our sort of final category of given the oneness, the belief in a higher power, the energetic connection, the guided life in which we lift one another up and have responsibility, where does that take you into the ultimate purpose, the ultimate destination? Yeah. So for me, it's really simple. Um, it's to leave the world better than I found it. Oh, <laughs> and, I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I, the, the last podcast that I listened to was, um, the, the rabbi that that you had mm. had on and his you know his ultimate purpose was to live an ethical life mm -hmm. and I thought you know that's super simple and then when I was doing this own exercise for myself it really that for me said you leave the world better than you find it you leave your space better than you find it because ultimately that's all that you have as a legacy right I mean you um, you're here to to take up space for a certain amount of time, which is but a, in a blink um, over, right? I mean, you know, even though it, it feels like a long period of time, but sort of in the in the great scheme of things, 
we're here for a very short period of time. And so what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to leave things better than we found them. And so that is the, the value that I hold really dear and sacred. And, um, you know, a lot of times I do my meditations around that, right? So how can I, how can, how can today, how can I leave today better than I left yesterday? Or how can I leave today better than I found today? Um, so yeah, so I would say that would be it. That's beautifully said. Thank you. And I, and I love the fact that, you know, you heard Dr. Breton's podcast and, um, and that, that, that spoke to you. Like that's the, that's the beautiful fusion of all of these traditions is that they do speak to each other and they have modern application for us today. I know before we head into our, um, our specific question about the COVID pandemic, Gorbani has a question for you. Yeah, Barbara, I was um, stuck, struck by, um, you said when you all moved to Georgia and there was a church on every street corner, which was quite different um, from your experience previously. And when you said that, I was struck. I thought these were communities in competition <laughs> in, in one form or another. Um, so I'm, I'm just really curious, based on your experience, um, I mean, it sounds like if everyone were to be as sincere and as in, intentional as, as you try to be every day, like the world would be a better place. Um, no doubt about that. But, but I'm curious you, what your thoughts are on things that we could do socially, communally, um, for, or from a, com a community perspective in general. Um, what do you think are some of the things that we could do um, uh, collectively uh, that would make the world a better place? Wow, that is, wow, that's such a deep and um, interesting question. And oddly enough, you know, I, when I'm in spaces working on equity issues and anti-racist issues, this, this topic comes up a lot, but in different formats. And I would say the one thing, well, there are a couple of things. One is to listen more and talk less. Um, you know, I think we spend a lot of time, you know, we're, we're all on social media and we see sort of this, this running of people just talking and talking and talking and not really listening to where other people, what other people's perspectives are relative to their lived experience. Um, I was on a call this morning where I had a very similar kind of reaction where, you know, we were trying to create community, but there was this, there was a, a misconnection because we just, folks were not hearing each other and we're not listening in a way that allowed for, um, for space to be created, for communal space to be created long-term. Um, and so I would say listening is, is, is one of the, you know, one of the things. And then the second thing I would say is to be open, right? I mean, you know, and I say this a lot when people ask me, so, you know, what is it that you can do to, you know, to feel more connected to, you know, your job, your family, whatever. And I always say to be open, to feel like, to be an open vessel to the things that, that, that you experience and to then figure out a strategy to connect with people in a more, in a deeper way. Because I think a lot of what's happening now is because people A, are not listening. And by the, and, and that sounds kind of, um, it sounds very, well, duh, you know, just listen to me and hear me. 
but there's there are there's trauma associated with not hearing folks, right? The minute you hear people and really hear them, you then have to deal with your own trauma because your own trauma has informed your decision not to hear them originally. Mm. So I think, you know, that's a whole, we could have a whole other conversation about, you know, trauma and, and how that shows up in, in, in day-to-day conversation. But I give that example because that's part of why people are not, why, why we're confronted with all that we're confronted at this point and why people are not, why some people are not willing to, um, to make the world a better place, if you will, because they're not willing to listen and stay open. Mm-hmm. So I know that was sort of a, a long kind of rambly answer, but um, those would be the two things I would offer to listen and to be open. That was great, Barbara. Thank you. They, they sound simple, but I, I think they're hard to do in practice. Absolutely. I would agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. And they're both a spiritual practice. Oh, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. This is, I'm grateful that you asked that question too. And I'm, I know that our students will glean a lot from that answer. And I appreciate that you brought up and you named um, trauma, especially in the listening and the hearing. And also we can name a lot of trauma within spirituality too, and how there's a ton of ties and you're right. We could talk about that and maybe we'll put a pin in that and address it in season two, because that would be a great topic. And so I'm grateful that you named that too, that, um, that that's an important thread. And, and speaking of which it ties into our, our last question, which is the trauma of the present moment this COVID pandemic affecting us. I heard, or I read rather yesterday that we are now experiencing a pandemic of grief. And so how has the pandemic affected you and your beliefs and practices and or your community, the space where you find yourself spiritually and physically? Right, Um, very good question. So I'll say, you know, in mid-March when we shut everything down, um, I found myself, you know, at home by myself, <laughs> which, you know, when you're by yourself um, on weekends, okay, not so bad, kind of nice to be away from people, but then to find yourself by yourself for months on end was sort of interesting. And, you know, I, I shared this with a friend not too long ago. I said, gosh, when this first happened, I was a little terrified that I was not going to be able to spend time by myself. Now, I'll, the caveat to that is that I am an introvert, mm-hmm. even though I have a very extroverted job and I can turn that on when I need to, but I am pretty introverted. So this should have been no big deal. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had fortified myself in a way that I had not really put name to until I was until I had to spend so much time alone. And that is that I had been meditating regularly, sometimes at least once a day, sometimes twice a day for about seven years. Mm. And that allowed me this very introspective and quiet space within which to reflect and be introspective and to not have you know, what I call the, the, you know, the, the loud voice in your head to take over the quiet voice in your head. And so I was pleasantly surprised that not only did I feel fortified in, in the fact that I had been, that I had the spiritual practice on which I could lean, 
but I also realized that it deepened my practice and continues to do so. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't have days where I get up and I think, wow, I cannot do this today. But those days are very short and I then fall back and say, you know what? I have this spiritual practice, which includes meditation, which includes breath work, um, which includes yoga. I can turn to those for comfort and understanding, right? Again, we're all connected and, you know, feeling grounded in, in those, in that spiritual practice. And so I would say that, you know, can't speak for anyone else, but it has, I have been able to deepen my practice through this pandemic period. I will say though, that the racial, all of the racial strife and all of the, um, all of the social injustices that have, you know, have always been with us, but that have been highlighted over the last, you know, seven to eight months, that for me was harder to, to sort of sit with. Um, and as, you know, as a, as a woman of color who identifies as black and German, you know, there were days when I really had to reach deep and pull out, you know, from places that I didn't know I had. More so, be, more so from that angle versus the pandemic piece, right? And I don't, you know, it's interesting. I don't really know what, you know, what's the difference, right? I mean, you know, they're both um, incredibly, you know, daunting and and hard to and a hard space to move through. But for me, the pandemic was an easier, has been easier to move through than, than some of what we've been seeing over the last eight months relative to, um, to the racial and social injustices that have been going on. Uh, so yeah, I, it, but I, you know, I say all that to say that it is a journey, right? I mean, it's, you know, again, some days, some days my practice is really deep and affirming and other days, I have to really push myself, understanding that this is a, a but a moment in time, and that I will get through that and move on to the next moment, which will then be better. Mm, that's very well said. And thank you for speaking to the complexity of the pandemic and that we are in a moment of, of I would say, heightened awareness of racial injustice. And we don't know, we will never know because it's what we would call a counterfactual, whether we our senses would have been as heightened if we weren't in a pandemic to what is going on. Um, we won't know because we've experienced it this way, but I'm really grateful that you named it because it speaks to the students studying right now for their final projects about suffering and spirituality. And how do you cope spiritually when suffering occurs, whether it is racial injustice, whether it's trauma, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's death or grief. And so I love that you talked about leaning on your spiritual practice that you had established. You had seven years of daily meditation practice and were some days difficult, absolutely. Um, but you had, you had a practice to rely on. And I think that speaks volumes, especially to our students who are looking for, to go back to your quote, a practice, a spiritual practice that is going to become uniquely their own. And that's so important. 
Um, and I'm really grateful that you named that. And, and speaking of our students, you know, from previous semesters, we always wrap up our time with parting brief words of wisdom that you have for students as they continue their explorations of religion and spirituality and practice. Yeah, so I, I would say understand where you, you know, if you, if you grew up with a particular belief system, know that it is a journey and that you have the ability to either lean into that or lean out of it and lean into something else and to be open in that exploration. Um, you know, the person that I was a year ago is not necessarily the same person I am today. The person I was six months ago or seven months ago when the pandemic first hit, I'm slightly different than that person because I've leaned into certain things, but I've also leaned out of certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I would say just to, you know, to be open, I mentioned that earlier, um, and not be afraid to explore other aspects of yourself that resonate or other aspects of spirituality that resonate with you that may not be part of your quote unquote original belief system that was guided by your parents or by who, whoever raised you. Um, so yeah, so that was, that would be what I would offer. That's brilliant wisdom. And I know our students will really hear that and take it to heart. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And as always, sharing your wisdom and just your practical everyday wisdom for us as practitioners, but also, you know, as, as humans on a spiritual journey. So we're grateful for you. Well, thank you. And, you know, as a, as a Capricorn, um, we, if nothing else, we are practical. So you're you're so welcome. It's true. It's so true. Thank you so much for everything. And students, thank you so much for listening to this season of Array of Faith. This is the Array of Faith podcast, shedding light on the beauty in our faith, spiritual and religious differences. I've been your host, J. Dana Trent, professor of world religions at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us.